Yes, come, uh, if you come in, take a seat. Uh, welcome to Free Church. My name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Free Church, and I have. I want to talk about my fa- my mom's favorite dish that she ever uh, made for me. And um, don't tell my mom I'm going to share this. And I think I think she's watching online. So turn the volume down, mom. I had a really we- I had a really strange childhood, and uh, my mom and dad were so uh, busy um, when they when they had me at home. Um, my dad was a pastor. My mom worked uh, in business in Portland, and so they're incredibly busy, always, always moving around. And so I say this actually with pride that my mom did not cook literally ever, um, and that's, that is no that is no exaggeration. Uh, apparently, my sisters knew what home cooked meals were. Uh, I did not. I, I absolutely do not remember one. Um, but we did eat at Sizzler about five nights a week. And that, again, you can ask my sister this year, that is, that is zero exaggeration, none whatsoever. Uh, about five nights a week at Sizzler, sometimes we would mix it up with Elmer's. Sometimes we would mix it up, if I was lucky, uh, it would be Taco Bell. Um, every once in a while, um, if I was unlucky, it would be KFC. But that was my childhood. And if, if, we, were ever, if we were ever like really privileged, it might be like uh, Olive Garden. Once that actually came to town, we might, we might go to Portland to like a very fancy restaurant like Fuddruckers. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, there's no joke. Um, and so there was one day a year my mom did cook, and it was on Thanksgiving. But here is the, the, the horrible irony of it. The one day a year my mom cooked, I was such a jerk as a kid that I didn't like Thanksgiving food, like, and I still don't to this day, but I, I've learned to be humble and eat it anyways. Uh, but I was such like an idiot little kid that I, I refused to eat it. And so my mom, for me, out of the love and grace of her wonderful mother's heart, she would make my favorite meal uh, for me on Thanksgiving, and that was uh, a can of Chef Boyardee ravioli. <laughs> And still to this day, um, Susan will surprise me and bring some home. And it's like, it is one of the greatest late night snacks is um, Chef Boyardee ravioli. For some reason, the minis are actually better than the full size. It, it really, really is. Um, and so that, that is my, that's my story about my mother's favorite uh, meal that she cooked. Um, I want to, speaking of my, my mother, I want to thank those of you. Um, sometimes you don't know what to share publicly about what's going on in your own family, but uh, my father... Pastor Ralph Trask, who founded this church, um, he had a health scare this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and so uh, my family, uh, especially my mother, have been up in Portland at the hospital all week, him, and long story short is he had um, extreme infection due to um, some gallstones, and gallstone moved, gallbladder removed, he's still um, fighting infection, some other things, but he, he is, uh, I think, should be like showing up at his door right away, like he's going home right now, and so maybe my mom actually missed this whole thing about the, the story, I think they might be in the car, hopefully. Um, so, um, but be praying for my dad if you could, and we will be sharing on our, if you're part of our uh, private Facebook group, if you consider this your church, if you'd like to be in that group, sometimes we communicate some things there that we wouldn't keep public, uh, but we will do a meal train for them. Meal trains are weird because some people don't actually like getting meal trains. My dad's all about it, okay? So if, if people came to his door um, and brought a meal, he would be very stoked. I might be like, hey, that's cool. See you guys later. We're going to go in and eat. My dad would be like, come in. So my dad would like that. But if you do sign up to bring him his, a meal, I need you to promise me something, is that if he offers you cookie or milk or offers to do something for you while you're there, tell him, no, he's, he's not allowed, okay? Just let him, just, say, just relax. We're here to serve you. He spent his whole life serving people, um, serve, so he, he's at a point of his life where he can be served and to, to be served and not, not to serve. And so um, thank you for keeping our family in your prayers with that. 
Um, today we're doing uh, baby dedications. We did one at our 9 o'clock service. And, and I want to just have great faith for the dedication of Adelie here in a minute. But show, show, the, show the picture from the first service, if you could, if that's, I don't know if that's up there. But this little girl, Yumi, she spent the entire dedication waving at the congregation. And so it's going to be really hard for Adelie to beat that. But I mean, I'm serious. Like, smiles and waves. She was, she was, she like knew this was her. She could see that she could see herself up there. She could see, it was great. And so, um, just Adelie, you better bring it this morning. <laughs> so, the reason we do dedications, this is not baptism. Um, this is not um, welcoming a baby as a Christian or a member of a church or anything like that. It's just saying, God, this, this child is yours, not ours. And that the mom and dad are stewards of the babies that God has entrusted them with to raise and to care of. And it is a way for us to offer the children to God to have his will in their life. It's a way for us to pray that when they come to an age where they might know Jesus, that they would know Jesus. And here's something kind of interesting about dedications, and I, I'm just kind of figuring this out more as a pastor is that a lot of times people will come and ask us to dedicate babies, um, but they really don't attend our church, and that's totally fine. It, we're thrilled to do that. But there's something special about a baby dedication, and it's actually a way for a church body to make a commitment to the parents, make a commitment to the babies. And so um, the family that we're going to come up, that's going to come up in a minute, we're going to dedicate this, this family is a dear part of our church. And so if, if you do extend your hands forward to pray for this baby, just know that when you do, you're actually making a commitment to be there for this family if they need you. You're making a commitment to um, support this family if they need and we all need help, right? And so uh, this is, the church is a body, it's a group effort, it's a family, and so not only are we praying for the baby, the parents, it's also saying like, hey, we, we've got your back if, if something happens, help. And so uh, we want to take that real seriously and, and reverently also. So um, Alex, if you want to come up with your wife and come up with your baby, and um, if you guys want to bring up parents or any family that does want to come up, you're welcome to that, but I don't want to pressure any of them to that. But if you guys want to come up this way, and um, Alex, the lights up on the stage are extremely bright, just heads up. <laughs> Adelie, may I hold her? So I can wave too. Yeah, hello. Oh, my fans. I have a certificate you're asking about. Okay, so yeah, Susan, if you want to come on up here. So um, Alex and Lindy, you had Adelie on March what? Almost. Adelie Lynn. Adelie Lynn Ward. I was, do you guys know what Adelie means? Yeah, I, I looked it up. Um, I just wanted to test Lindy's. <laughs> But it actually means, yeah, you're right, God, God is my refuge is what it means. And um, sometimes I, I was actually praying for Adelie all week, and every time I prayed, I kept getting a strange word over her life, and it, I don't know what it means, the word lightning. Every time I prayed for her, God kept putting this word in my heart, lightning, lightning, lightning. And as I looked up the meaning of her name as God is my refuge, I think that as God is her refuge, she'll be a refuge for others as well. And just this idea of God coming quickly like lightning, our refuge strengthens us. And I know that this girl is going to be having a lot of support from grandparents, from dad and mom, and... Um, very good hands, not only in hands and Alex's hands, but that of her family and also that of God. And she's got uncles that will kill anybody that gets near her. <laughs> Jitsu and all, all sorts of things. You don't ever want to date this. Okay, so um, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and God knits us together in our mother's womb. Babies are a precious gift from God. The Bible says that they are a blessing and they absolutely are. And this little girl is a blessing. I'm also glad to see little girls for a, for a while, like people were only having boys. But now there's a lot of girls being born. These poor, poor guys need some ladies in their lives. And so <laughs> God is supplying all of their needs. 
Um, but yeah, I just I want to pray over her that, that God would be her refuge and she'd be a refuge to those who need and that God would her like lightning. And so um, Susan, if you could lay hands on mom and dad and church, if you could actually stand and extend your hands this way. And I mean what I said. If you extend your hands this way and pray, uh, our prayers have backing. It means that we're, we're, willing to, we're willing to help. We're willing to fight for the lives of the kids within our church. And so extend your hands this way as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for baby Adelie, God. Thank you for just her beautiful spirit you've given her, God. Thank you for making her in your image, and she exists to bring you glory and to reflect you. God, I pray that at a young age, she would know you, that she would have strong faith in you. God, we ask that um, she would experience goodness and blessings that, that even her her mother and her father never experienced, that her grandparents never experienced, God, and she would experience new things. God, bless her lungs. Help her to, help her to shout and cry. God, we, we ask that um, she would be blessed, just as we said. She's yours. Help her to know you. We dedicate her to you. We pray that Alex and Lindy would be able to raise her up in the way she should go so that when she is old, she will not depart from it. Lord, bless this family. Provide for them. Uh, God, provide them with, um, with housing. Provide them with other kids. Give siblings to Adelie, God. Provide them with wisdom and with strength and with every good thing, God. Bless, bless the grandparents, Lord Jesus. Help them to just experience and inherit this time of joy as they get to this season of their lives that they've been looking forward to. Jesus' name. All right, thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Okay, I'm going to mute my microphone for a second and move my stuff into place. Give me five seconds. Okay. Um, thank you again for coming, guys. We uh, today are starting a series that is called... Uh, open doors and been preparing for this for a couple of weeks. Um, yesterday, our, um, our interns, my wife, Caleb and Ladina, we, we came back from a conference in Seattle and um, Susan and Ladina left for the rest of us their party poop. And the rest of us enjoyed Pike's Place Market, Seattle. It was the busiest day I've ever seen in Seattle in my life and the nicest day I think Seattle's ever had. In its ex but um, on the way home, um, I uh, went to the bathroom and I couldn't close the, the stall door. It wouldn't close. I couldn't get a lock and someone walked in on me while I was going to the bathroom. Open doors, right? And so I pushed it closed and I was trying to just like shake it around to see if I could lock it. And finally, I, I was able to lock it. I didn't tell Susan this because she had another story, but I actually got stuck in the stall. It would not unlock. And I was shoving to try and get out. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I really don't want to crawl under at this rest stop because I was like, I'm going to have to crawl under. And, and I think I'd rather crawl over, but people will see. It'll be a little awkward, but what am I going to do? And then I realized, what if you're supposed to pull the door instead of push it? <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ladina and Susan stopped at a Mexican restaurant. And on their way home, as Ladina was, was leaving, um, she went to go to the bathroom, but the door shut on her really quickly as she was going into the bathroom. And, and the, you can ask them to show you later, but the doorknob had like, it was almost like an extended curly cat claw. It was like the strain, the weirdest doorknob you've ever seen. And so when she was like, try to push her hips open to get it to, to pop open, her belt loop got stuck on that claw. And she was like hanging on the bathroom door. <laughs> And Susan sent me a video of her literally stuck to the door. And she literally had to take her pants off to get off. <laughs> Seriously. And so God wants to do something today with this series of open doors. He has prepared the way for us. And, man, doors are a funny thing. Um, we've got automatic doors at grocery stores. 
How many of you have ever, like, you've walked too fast to the automatic door and it didn't open when you wanted it to and you're like, oh, oh, awkward. You've got elevator doors that, that like, you're supposed to just be able to just nudge them if they're closing too quick, but sometimes it's like, like, shove it back open. Um, the worst doors there are are the, the spinning doors at airports. Those don't make any sense. It's like it's dangerous and you've got luggage in there and there's people in a hurry and um, I'm surprised. I've never heard of someone losing a limb in one, but I'm, it probably will happen one day. Um, but the doors are, they're a funny thing. Um, one thing we need more of is like saloon doors. Those are cool. He's like, Psh, open as walk right through and they only cover this part here, but like you can see people's cowboy boots and their cowboy hat when they come through. Um, doors are a fascinating thing. There's car doors. How many of you have ever got your finger caught in a car door before? You know, I know many of you have. Um, car doors are also a, a dangerous. Some of you have fancy cars that like the doors are like, Psh, uh, it's the Tesla, was it the Y that does that? Or is it the, excuse me, the X. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at me. It's the X. Okay. It's do- doors are, are incredible. Uh, but back in January, um, God started to work on my heart and uh, was kind of moving in my life during a season of a bit of discouragement. And I went on a, a little bit of a retreat. And while I was gone, I heard the Lord clearly ask me, uh, Anthony, what would you like me to remove from your life? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And over a course of a couple of hours of thinking that through, um, I, I realized some things that I did want God to remove from my life. And as I went home, I started to see over the course of a couple of weeks in some really dramatic ways, God started to remove some things from my life that I knew needed to be uh, removed for me to walk in the plan he had for my life. And it was about that time as I was realizing that, that I also started to see God move in some very unique and interesting ways, um, not just personally, but, but culturally throughout our nation, throughout the world, and, and in the church. I saw God move in some interesting ways. I saw young people start to be very hungry for a move of God and hungry for worship. And I think that while uh, people in, in my generation, like Generation X or people that are millennials, they may have been turned off by maybe some misuses of some things of the Lord. I I see this younger generation very hungry for things of the Lord. And so I started to see God move in some supernatural ways, even within our own church, specifically in the realm of prophecy in some very exciting ways. Saw young people hungry for kind of a revival of people following Jesus and know him. And it was really just an incredible time. And it seems kind of cliche to point this out, but I did notice it. I saw a very obvious correlation, and and we had a speaker at our conference this week that pointed out this correlation too. There was this real obvious correlation with this movie that came out. Jesus Revolution happened at the exact same time all this stuff was going on. And it it wasn't planned except for planned by God. And at that exact same moment, there was this uh, Asbury revival, as it's known, started to break out in Kentucky and started to kind of pour out through different things in our culture amongst young people and college students. And really an interesting time to be alive. And what it showed me is that the young generation is really grown sick of all that culture has been feeding them. And I think while older generations have become complacent to it, the younger generations have actually grown tired of it. And I believe that God is raising up now, um, just like the book of Judges, almost kind of like judge-like figures to save the day, so to say, to offer people a time to repent and to move in this new season of open doors. And this, this whole thing culminated for me on Palm Sunday 
On April 2nd, on Palm Sunday, uh, my friend Dwayne Smiley, he was playing guitar today. He spoke that Sunday on Palm Sunday, and I don't remember all the things he said, but I do remember that the message was entitled, um, essentially, Take It Back. Take back what the enemy has stolen from you. And some point in that message, Dwayne made this statement that really stuck with me, and it was that God is in the business of basically taking cities, that, that churches and people can take cities for the gospel can take back what the enemy stole from them. And he specifically started speaking about our church in the realm of taking back a city. And so that evening, we went to the Ike Box for our monthly downtown service. And that evening, uh, my son Zion uh, was preaching his first sermon that was there. And so his mom and dad were proud of that. But beyond that, I, I saw that night specifically, young people really break out in, in worship. God really moving on people in some unique ways, and especially some very powerful, very clear prophecies that went out at that particular service, which was a little out of the ordinary for some things our church had experienced before. And I just, I left that place, and I talked with Tim Warnock, who oversees our, our downtown campus that we're establishing, and we were just like, man, this is exactly what we want to see all the time. Like, this, this was amazing. And even this last uh, Sunday night, we had our first of the month downtown service, and while we were there, like, everything, everything went wrong. Uh, at that downtown service. And it takes us a long time to get set up at this place that we're able to meet at. And, and we're so privileged to be able to meet there. But everything was going wrong. And Isaiah Robnett, he, he looked at me and he said, this means things are going to get real good later. And I was like, oh, Isaiah, that's so cute that you think that. Like, <laughs> that's not how things work. But oh, okay, brother, amen. Man, he was right. He was really right. And, and, and again, saw God really break out amongst young people who were just really freed up to celebrate and to worship. And I was talking to some older people after the service, and I think, Debbie, are you here? I see you, yeah. So yeah, my friend Debbie was there, and um, she was like, this is the kind of worship I want. Like, I, you know, I love this. And, and I think that some of our young people came to me like, you know, we noticed that it was kind of the people under 30 that were up just really letting it all out and worshiping and jumping up and down and praising. And I was like, that's because the people older than that can't. They were with you in spirit. And, and so, but, but all of the older people that were there, they all like, that was amazing. That's the kind of, that's the kind of worship that, that we want to see. And, and here's the thing. It was really loud. My watch gave me like a bunch of like sound warnings and, and, and the old people were like, that's the kind of music we like. That, that's the kind of worship that we want to see. And, and so I just see God making a generation excited and making an older generation proud of what God is doing for their kids and their grandkids and even their great grandkids. And it was amazing to see. And that, that night on April 2nd when I left the Ike box, I heard God clearly say to me, this is a season of open doors. And this happened all within like about a 90 seconds. It's, this is a season of open doors. And specifically in my heart, I was flooded with what that meant. It was a season and a time to move forward. It was a time to walk in and to take leaps of faith towards dreams that God has given his people. It is a season of open doors for the gospel. And of all the statements I'll make today, I actually believe that more than any of them. It is a season of open doors for the gospel. It is a season of open doors for provision. It is a season of open doors for blessings and growth in your personal walk with Christ. I believe it's a season of open heaven in regards to the spirit and the power of God. But as that, that, that this word from God was coming to me in that short 90 seconds, this also came with it. And as that was, if you don't walk in it, you'll miss it. If you don't walk through the open door while it's open, you will miss it. 
And I left that place, and I started to have all sorts of clarity of vision and direction for my own life, for the ministry God has blessed me with, for this church. And I started to have vision of steps that needed to be taken next for our church to be able to move into the realms that God wants us to be in. And God started to confirm this in really radical ways. I had mentors that had no idea any of this stuff was going on start to contact me and affirm these things to me without knowing anything. I had wise older people come and pray for me and, and prayed these things over my life and prayed that I would have courage and strength, people that didn't know what was happening or going on. I had friends show up and begin to encourage me in boldness and readiness and to take leaps of faith that I wouldn't take if I didn't have people who had my back. And God started to remind me of all the things he had imparted to me over the years and things that he gave me dreams to do. And I started to desire to do those things again. But then a couple of days passed. And I shared this vision um, with several people. I shared it with my wife. I shared it with my son. Uh, I shared it with Dwayne Smiley, who spoke the message that Palm Sunday. I shared it with Ladina Doherty. I shared it with... Um, Someone else I had shared, Tim, Tim Warnock, I started to share and it revealed some more later. And as I was sharing those things with these, these friends and, and trusted brothers and sisters, is that, um, man, doubt kicked in right away, right when I started sharing it. Self-doubt, fear. I started to see what God wanted to do in me, but then I started to look at the, rack, the lack of resources to do it. How many of you have done that before? God's given you a vision, but the enemy distracts you with the lack of resources to see the vision play out. I started to sense like we're lacking some leaders in some key areas that are needed to move forward. Um, and what I've learned is that when you share a vision that's from God, expect, expect the enemy to come after you. If you share a vision that's from God, expect there to be resistance. And I, and I should have known that. And I should be learning that. But it, it, it always surprises me every time. Like, oh, I'm so pumped up. And then the enemy comes and it was like, but I'm going to deflate you when you're pumped up. You see... Keep sharing your vision. Keep sharing direction. You need to share it because every time you share it, you share it in faith. Every time you share it, God is encouraging you and blowing wind into your sails to keep you going and moving forward. And don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Just keep moving forward. So what I realized is this. I realized that I know the voice of God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow. And what I've learned is I know the voice of God. And if God says that doors are open, then doors are open. If God says that it's a season of open doors, then it's a season of open doors. And all I can do is walk through them. All I can do is be obedient. And, and the outcome is not up to me. It's actually completely up to him. And sometimes we got to take these huge leaps of faith through these open doors and have no idea how God's going to show up and answer and respond and provide for. And even though that's terrifying, it's also pretty exhilarating and exciting as well to be able to live like faith, like that. So all I can do is be obedient and trust God with the outcome. And as I was thinking about this season of open doors, I realized that in order to experience a season of open doors, in order to experience all God has for us and to walk into a place where God is leading us in his direction and in his will, in order to walk into that season, you actually have to walk through the door that's there. You won't experience what's behind the door unless you walk through the door. You have to actually take steps forward through that door. And, and here's what I've learned about doors. You have to be willing to lay down all that you have that won't allow you to enter the door in order just to get in. Um, my son is engaged and he's getting married in less than two months. 
wow, that's, that's just stressful and exciting all at the same time. And one of his dear friends who's here today um, reached out and was like, hey, and I, I apologize for this dear friend that's here. I've got a couch that, that I'm trying to get rid of. Do you know anybody who would want a couch? And I was like, oh, man, my son Zion and Abby, they're going to be moving into their first apartment, and they really need a new couch. And so Zion went, and he picked up this couch, and he was so proud of the couch when he brought it home. And I walked out, and I looked at the couch in the back of the truck, and I was like, wow, it's a big couch. And that couch, I'm pretty sure, was made of steel, um, vibranium, adamantium, lead, and, and possibly some, some black, is it black matter or dark matter? I don't know. It was heavy. It was a heavy couch. And, and so... Did you have Sam come help? Yeah, what the heck? Like, so Sam and I and Zion are walking. We're like, we're going to bring this couch up our stairs and around the corner into the spare room to be kept until Zion moves out. And, and at some point, I was like, Zion, I'm sorry, but this couch ain't going anywhere. <laughs> it's not even going to fit through the stairs. And so in order to enter into that next season, we had patience. I'm sorry. We had to lay down your couch. <laughs> And it's in our garage right now. If you want to come take it back, um, we need someone to get it. <laughs> I hope, but, but here's the deal. you got to lay down things that are too big to fit through the door sometime in order to have something better on the other side. And so what have you had to lay down in order to go through? If you have to go through security at the airport, sometimes you forget you've got your multi-tool in your pocket. Sometimes you forget you've got your pocket knife in your pocket. Sometimes you forget you've got your Glock at your side. You better not forget that. <laughs> sometimes you forget, and you've got to lay those things down if you want to go through them. You've got to be willing to lay down anything that can't come inside because whatever you leave at the door, I promise you, I promise you, it will always be replaced by something better. Always. It hurts to let go, but what you will hold on to when you walk through exceeds whatever you let go of. As a pastor, one of the most common things people ask me to pray for is this. Pastor, will you pray that this door will be opened? It almost always has to do with the job. Pray that this door will be opened in my career. Pray that this door will be open for my promotion. Pray for this door to be open for my advancement. And they'll ask and they'll pray that these doors will be open. And if I'm being real, I might say something like this. You've got all sorts of doors open in front of you that you haven't walked through. And if God gives you another open door, what makes anyone think that you're going to go through that one when there's all these ones open in front of you? Oftentimes, what we're actually praying for is we're praying for the final door. God, give me the final door. The one that if it's open, I'll have all I need. But here's what I've learned. God puts all sorts of open doors of opportunity in front of us. And the Bible says whatever our hand finds to do, we are to do with all of our might as if we're working for God and not for men. So there's all sorts of opportunities and open doors. And what I've learned is that when you go through those doors, and you might say, Pastor, how do I know if I should go through it or not? Just ask yourself two questions. Is it sin to walk through this door? And is there any check in my spirit, discernment coming from me or someone else that's telling me not to go through? No? Okay, go on through. What I've learned is when you go through the doors of opportunity that are open, God always puts another door and another door and another door. And, and those doors get bigger and bigger and bigger, but you've got to be willing to go through the small doors if you want to go through the big door one day. Take opportunities now. The big door with all you want is not going to be opened in front of you unless you take the small steps that are taken and every opportunity that's there. And so what I do, and this is what I've learned, and I do it every time now, when someone says, Pastor, will you pray that my doors are open for me? It happens at least once a month. Every time I say, no. 
but I'll pray that the doors that God doesn't want you to go through will be slammed in your face. Every time. God, close the doors that you don't want me to go through. Close the opportunities that I shouldn't take. It may look good, but if it's not good, close the door. So many people, open, God, pastor, pray that God will open the door for me in, in finding a husband. Well, you've got a bunch of nerdy guys in front of you that are wide open doors that you could walk through that opportunity if you'd like. And if you haven't taken your opportunity with them, you think you're going to take the opportunity with this guy if he comes along? You can't even go on a date with this loser. How are you going to go on a date with this other guy? God just closed a bunch of doors in my mind. Self-control. Pray that God closes doors he doesn't want you to go through. Today, I want to invite you to go through the most important door you'll ever go through. And if you've entered that door before, I want to invite you to open the door of your heart to continuously receive what you experience when you first walk through the door. I want to give a real brief summary of some Old Testament theology, and I have to make it a lot simpler than what it is. But the bottom line is this. Our sin closes the door to relationship with God. Our sin closes a door of intimacy between us and God. The door that closes with our sin becomes the barrier. Our sin is the door. It separates us from God. And so God gave an invitation to a nation, the nation of Israel. God gave an invitation to them to encounter him, to have a limited relationship with him, to have a temporary cover for their sins. God gave them an invitation to have some kind of hope of, of life beyond what they knew. And this invitation that God gave to Israel, it would be done by their adherence to the law. So God gave the law through Moses and said, Israel, adhere to the law, and this will be a pathway to have a limited relationship with me. But the invitation that God gave to Israel for relationship with him, it wasn't just represented by just adherence to the law, but specifically it was built on a sacrificial worship system. And this sacrificial worship system was built like this. A tabernacle would be built and eventually a temple. And inside of the tabernacle and later inside of the temple was an inner space, an inner room that would be known as the Holy of Holies. And inside of this Holy of Holies, this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And on and around the Ark of the Covenant, mysteriously, this is where God's manifest presence would dwell among his people. Now, God's everywhere. I get that. But God sometimes shows up in a tangible, manifestable, recognizable glory centered in one location here, there on the Ark of the Covenant. And the sacrificial worship system would be that once a year, a high priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people on behalf of the people and on behalf of himself. And that high priest would take the sacrifice in only once a year to the Holy of Holies. And he would have to purify himself. He would have to abstain from things for a season. He would have to wear special clothing. He would even wear like bells. So in case he died in the presence of God, people would know that the bell stopped ringing and his dead body needed to be pulled back out. This was serious. There was great reverence about being in the presence of God. And once a year, this priest would go in and he would sacrifice an animal to cover or to atone for the sins of the entire nation. That was the invitation God gave. Do this and you, you'll, you'll have me in your midst. But between that holy of holies, that inner space, that inner room, and the rest of the temple, there was a curtain. There was a veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God from the people. And it was a veil, a door, a curtain. And that door, if you will, that door represented that 
Your sin, my sin, our sin separates us from God, and no one goes through that door. And only one person can go through that door. And only once a year could that person go through that door. And when he goes through the door, it's only temporary. He's going to have to keep going year after year after year after year after year after year. But the moment that Jesus died on the cross, centuries after that veil had been placed between the presence of God and the people of Israel, the moment that Jesus died on the cross, that veil, that curtain that separated God from man, the moment that Jesus breathed out his last breath, the Bible says that the sky went dark, the earth began to shake, and that curtain it was ripped in two. And it was ripped not from the bottom up by the efforts of man, but it was ripped from the top to the bottom to symbolize this was the effort of God. That only God could not just cover sin, but forgive it. Only God himself could open the door and make a way for intimacy between man and God. And this sacrifice that Jesus made, he proved himself to be this great high priest and his sacrifice, it was once and for all time, and it was accepted by his Father. And God himself did it. And no obedience, no adherence to the law, no cleaning yourself up could ever tear that veil and open that door. But Jesus Christ opened it up. And it was opened up through his perfect life, through his death in our place, and his resurrection from the grave. And the veil, the door that closes between us and God, it's been torn, it's been opened wide so that all can have access to God by grace through faith. So the door swings open and the door doesn't open and close. The door swings open because that sacrifice was made once and for all time. It was only the perfect blood of Jesus that would be accepted as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. This is why Jesus says this. John 10, verse 9. And Kim, don't, don't come back until I tell you to. But John 10, verse 9 says this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The door has been opened. Jesus opened. The door. Jesus is the door. And no one gets to the Father. No one gets to God. No one gets to heaven, if that's what you want to hear, except through him. He is the door. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, through, through me. He's the door. You see, there's many doors in this respect. There are doors all over the world to choose from. How many of you have seen the movie Monsters, Inc. and all those doors? They're all closet doors. And there's door after door after door that Mike and Sully and Boo have to figure out which one takes them back to her room, and they end up all sorts of places. And just like only one door leads to Boo, oh, this will preach. <laughs> just like one door leads to Boo, only one door is going to lead to life, and there are countless doors to choose from, but every other door only leads to destruction. And so there are doors in front of you, and you might say, can I pick door number one, two, three, four, five, five million, two trillion? Which door should I choose? And those doors, they're representative of every religion, every lifestyle, every sin, every debauchery, every philosophy, every way of life, every culture. There's all sorts of doors you can choose. But all of those doors are going to require work to open them. And Jesus says, you don't got to work, I'll open it for you. And if you can work hard enough to open any of those other doors, God's not waiting on your side. In fact, it's the absence of him. It is destruction. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it 
are many. I never fully understood this verse actually until recently. It's not saying that you got to squeeze your way into heaven. It's not saying that Jesus is a difficult way to get into heaven. What it's saying is there's so many doors that look good, that look easy, that are wide open, that you can just run right through. But those all lead to destruction. There's just one door that leads to life. And in comparison to the other doors, that door is narrow because Jesus is the way, the only truth, the only way to life. And nobody gets anywhere except through him. So if you want to enter that door of relationship with Jesus, there is a door that you have to open in order to go through the door. And to go through the door into salvation with Christ, the door that you must open is a door that exists in your heart. And you must open the door of your hearts to him. This means that you allow Jesus to be the boss, the king, the manager, the ruler, the maker, the Lord of your heart. It means you allow him to have access to every single thing within you. It means that you don't just expect Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but you actually are asking him to deliver you from your sin. Some of you want to be forgiven, but you do not want to deliver. That's rough. I've been there. I go there sometimes. God, I want you to forgive the, the sins, but I like them too much to be delivered. Jesus didn't come to forgive you of sin. He became your sin. He died for your sin. Not to cover your sin, but to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means actually being delivered of those very things. And Jesus wants you to give him access to everything and every portion of your life because he wants to deliver you, heal you, and free you. How many of you have a place at your house where if someone is coming unexpectedly, you shove all your stuff in it before the neighbors or your guests see that you're a real person and that you make messes as well. What's that, what's that room for you? Is it a closet? Is it a room? Is it a garage? Where do, you, where do you close your stuff? What things do you not want people to see? You can go in any room, but you can't go in this one. Years ago, my wife and I had, a, I had this coworker going through a crisis, and just, just to be put it plainly. He was a pretty weird guy. And he was going through a crisis and he wanted to come over. I was like 20 years old. He wanted me to pray for him. He was much older than him. It was, it was a great privilege, but he comes over and he's like, is this your closet? Is this your bedroom? Whose bedroom is this? What's under this thing? What's under here? Where can I hide to murder you later tonight? We're like, whoa, we don't want to show you nothing. So we're like, I'll pray for you on the porch. And I did. Like, and that was the last time the guy ever came over. Like, not again. Jesus is not satisfied with hanging out on your porch. Jesus isn't satisfied with sitting on the couch in the living room where guests go. Jesus wants in the kitchen. Jesus wants in your bedroom. Jesus wants in your closets. Jesus wants in your attic where you hide stuff you don't know what anyone to see. And Jesus wants in your basement where you've got stuff that you don't even know about. He wants to deliver you from all of it. He wants to free you from all of it. He wants to heal you from all of it. You're forgiven when he comes inside, but that's not where it stops. He wants you to be free. See, when you've opened your door to Jesus and the Spirit of the Lord resides there, and if the Spirit of the Lord is allowed to work in your heart, the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I want to give you an opportunity in a moment to walk through the open door that is Christ and to enter into that narrow gate which is Christ, which means that you acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it means that you acknowledge that the wide and easy doors, which are many and multiple in front of you, that they only will lead you to destruction. But first, I want to give you 
another invitation. And I, and I believe, because every time we gather, there's always people who don't know Jesus. And I believe there are people here, you just don't know Christ, and Jesus wants relationship with you today. He wants you to respond to the invitation to enter into the door that is life. But I want to talk for a minute to Christians. If you say, I'm a Christian, I, I've said the sinner's prayer, I follow Jesus, I'm saved, whatever word you want to use. Maybe you've taken the step of faith, you've entered the door. And you've even opened the door of your heart to Jesus, and you invited him into your heart. You asked Jesus into your heart. But I'm talking to the Christian today who doesn't put Jesus first anymore. I'm talking to the Christian today that's lost passion for Jesus. I'm talking to the Christian today that's forgotten their first love. I'm speaking to the one who is saved, but who is lukewarm in your faith. I'm talking to the one that feels disconnected with Jesus. I'm talking to those who have denied Jesus access to certain parts and areas of your life. And I'm talking to people like I've been off and on who don't invite the presence of God into their heart to not just be there to save you, but to actually fill you. The Bible says Jesus is standing at your door and he's knocking. And so in Revelation 3, Jesus is talking to a church. He says, you guys are doing some good things. And you know me, but, but your, your relationship with me, it's not hot. It's not even cold. It's just lukewarm. He said, I wish that I would spew you out of my mouth. And read this verse in context, Revelation 3, verse 20. This is a verse to Christians. We always say this is a verse to non-Christians. It's not. This is a verse to Christians where Jesus says to Christians, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, that's the key word there, my sheep know my voice. Jesus says, I'm knocking, and I believe Jesus is knocking on everyone's heart, those who know him and those who don't. But there's a difference with those who know him. He says, I'm knocking, and I'm calling out for you. And if you know my voice because you are mine, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, there's a choice you have to make, and opens my door, I will come in, and I will eat with you, and you'll eat with me. So Jesus is calling you, Christian. He's calling you. And because you know him and because he's been inside before, you know his voice. And he's asking you to open the door to let you in. But here's where I find myself sometimes. How many of you have someone in your house that an alarm can go off to wake them up and they can ignore it indefinitely? And you can't. You might have children like that. Some of us have become numb to the knocking on the door of our heart. Some of us have become used to ignoring the Holy Spirit's call to come inside. But just because you've become numb and just because you've ignored it, it doesn't mean he's not knocking because he's knocking and he's calling and he's saying, will you open the door? He wants in. He wants relationship. He wants access to every room. He wants access to every space. He wants all of you. He wants to fill you, and he wants you to acknowledge his presence in his life because when you acknowledge his presence where he is present, you are free. You see, when you first walked through the door of salvation, again, this is for Christians, when you first walked through the door of salvation, when you first opened the door of your heart to Jesus, it wasn't staying the weekend at Jesus' house. It wasn't inviting Jesus in to have a sleepover in your heart. Entering through that door, it means that you abide in Christ continuously in him with you. But if you give him access on Sunday, you invite him into your heart, but you ask him to leave on Monday. And if the rooms that he cleaned, the rooms that he started to put in order and he cleaned out, if they're not allowed to be permanently inhabited by him, the things in your life that Jesus evicted 
have a really strange way of coming back and coming back stronger and with friends. And these things that Jesus cleaned out, that because of your distance from him and because you haven't allowed him to fill those spaces that he cleaned up, the things he cleaned up will come back in an attempt to take back the ground that Jesus won. Now, I know this seems strange, but Jesus himself says it. Luke 11, he says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it will pass through waterless places seeking rest. And finding no rest, the unclean spirit will say, I will return to my house. Do you know that your enemy calls your heart his house? That's alarming. I will go back to my house, the one I came from. And Jesus says, and with the enemy, with that one spirit, when it comes, it's going to find the house swept and it's going to be put in order. And it's going to go and bring seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. We don't ever preach on this because this is not a convenient truth. How many times have I not truly welcomed the presence of God in my heart and not allowed him to have access to the parts that he once cleaned out. And I discover that when I start to neglect his residency in my heart, that the old thing comes back. Some of you are stuck in the old thing. You're a new creation in Christ, but you're stuck in the old thing because you haven't let Jesus there because it's really painful when Jesus goes there. Because being put in order and being cleaned up and being delivered and healed it kind of sucks, doesn't it? it? It does. No one's ever like, I love to go to therapy. I love to receive healing. I love to process my trauma. I love to allow Jesus into the ugliest parts of me. And I love to have to face them. And I love to have to surrender them to Jesus. We don't like to do that. But I'm telling you, it's where you're free. It just is. You have to let him in. You have to let him dwell. And if you don't, you're going to realize, oh, that thing I thought I was over is still there. That thing I thought was behind me still creeps up. That habit that I walked away from, wow, when I'm not pushing into Jesus, it feels like the temptation has come back stronger. I can say this with, with certainty. Every husband that I have counseled that struggles with pornography, which is sadly almost every husband, all say the same thing. I thought when I got married, my problem with pornography would go away. It won't. Marriage isn't the solution. Christ is. What does that mean? That means that when you think that marriage is going to solve your problem and not Jesus, you've given the enemy ran in your heart. And he's going to come back with a stronger temptation than what you even dealt with before. But thanks be to God, because of Jesus, you can now stand up to that temptation. And if you allow Jesus to do his work, he'll do the work. And he can deliver you from it. See, nothing can really take what Jesus freely gave and won. But if you don't want him to stay... And if you invite your old tenants to come in and squat in the rooms they were kicked out of, Jesus won't force his stay if he's not wanted. He just won't. Jesus, most of the time, sometimes he does, but Jesus will not kick the tenants out of your heart if you want them there. I've seen Jesus kick tenants out of people's hearts that wanted them there, and it was brutal, but also good. So sometimes I do pray, God, they're not willing. Would you do it? Sometimes he does. But almost every time it requires you to say, Jesus, I want you here, and I don't want these things here anymore. And some of you can't get yourself to say, I don't want these things here anymore because these things feel so safe, but they're killing you. Jesus wants in, not just for visitation. He wants in as Lord of your heart. He wants to dwell with you continuously. He wants to have access to every 
realm. He wants to have permission from you to enact his will in every single area. And some of you are like, whoa, God doesn't need permission to enact his will. He doesn't, but you won't like what it's like when he enacts his will if you don't give him permission to do it. He wants authority to evict every squatter that's taken up residency so that you can have freedom, so that you can know true love and you can experience freedom that only comes from his presence inside of you. So can we dim our lights a bit and have you close your eyes so you don't have any distractions? If your phone's in your hand right now, could you put it down? Even if you're reading the Bible on your phone, put it down for a second. Kim, if you want to come up and play guitar, ask Aubrey, you could play some keys behind me here. But if you don't know Jesus, if you have not entered the door of faith, if you haven't entered the door who is Christ, Jesus has opened the door to relationship with God for you, wide open. You have access to God through faith. Open the door of your heart to him. He's knocking. He is knocking if you don't know him. He's knocking saying, would you let me in? And would you come in? Would you let me in? And would you come in to me? Open the door of your heart. Let Jesus in. Let Jesus be who he is. Let him be Lord. Let him come in to forgive you of sin and to cleanse you from sin. Let him come in to set you free from sin. Let him come in to deliver you from anything that doesn't belong there. Give Jesus access to everything. Enter through the door that is Jesus himself. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He's knocking, 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 knocking. Christians whose passion is burned out, Christians who've restricted Jesus' access to your heart, Christians who've invited over their old friends, Christians who've let their old habits and spirits take up space in their mind and occupy their heart again, let him in. He's knocking. You hear his voice. Respond. His sheep know his voice. Listen to him. He's calling for you. He's not just an obnoxious knocker on the door of your heart. He's calling you by name and saying, please let me back in. Let him kick out and clean out all that you've let in. Let him kick out and clean out all that's taken background. And let Jesus know that he's welcome to stay. I want to invite you in and I want you to stay. Revelation 3.20, we'll read it again, but here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Kim's going to have you stand, and we're going to close out in one song, and we're going to do something kind of cheesy and kind of tacky, but I watched it happen to multiple people at our 9 a.m. service, and it wasn't, there was nothing cheesy about it. There was nothing cliche about it. There's a door up here. Get to know this door. She's going to be here for the next two months. The first service, I thought it was, I thought it was a man, but I've decided her name is Dora. <laughs> Dora's going to be here a while. But she's not here for, for no mistake. Let's get away from the joke. This door, this door is here. And every week when you come in over these next two months, I want this door to remind you that when it's closed, that's sin that separates us from God. But when it's open, it represents this season of open doors, open heavens, open doors to effectiveness in the gospel, open doors to healing, open doors to provision, open doors for deliverance, open doors for where God wants to lead us as a church. And I'm going to ask you in just a minute, don't do it yet, but I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask us to start getting ready to sing our hearts out to Jesus. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Christ. My faith is not in Jesus. I do not have relationship with God. My sins are not forgiven. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He lived for you. 
a life you couldn't live. He died for you the death you deserve to die. He rose again to give you life so your sins can be forgiven, your relationship with God restored, his spirit dwelling within you, and everlasting life that I think is a bonus because everything else is good enough. But he wants relationship with you. And it is a gift that he gives by grace through faith, not religion, not by working your way into a door, but by walking through the wide open door that's narrow in comparison to the other doors and just saying yes to Jesus, saying yes in faith to Christ, saying yes, Jesus, today I choose you. And so if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, when I invite you to do that, we're going to do something that seems cliche, but was actually real powerful. We're going to open this door. And as we're standing and singing and praying, if you say, today I'm choosing Christ, I just want you to walk right through it. That door is not magic. It's not spiritual. It's not special. It's not religious. It's not going to make you a Christian. But there's something I believe that if you can take a tangible step of faith and say, today I am walking through the door that is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to remember this day that it's a day I walked in through him. And it's a day I opened my door of my heart and let Jesus come in. And again, it seems tacky, but whoa, it was powerful. We're going to have some pastors on the other side of this door that are gonna welcome you home with celebration and pray for you and just celebrate with you over the decision you've made to surrender your life to Christ. And I know for certain there are people here today that don't know Jesus. And then secondly is this, all those Christians I talked about, you, you haven't really made Jesus welcome in your heart and you've allowed your old friends to come and stay instead. He's knocking. He wants you to open the door of your heart and to let him back in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and comes and opens the door and lets me in, I'll come in, I'll eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants relationship with you. And you may be saved by Jesus and you might be going to heaven, but if it, you don't have relationship with Jesus, there's nothing. He wants relationship. And so if you say, I'm a Christian and I need relationship with Christ, I'm gonna ask you too to just make your way up to the front and say, I'm gonna walk through that open door. You may have surrendered your life to Jesus before, and you're saved, you're a Christian. Awesome, wonderful. But today, you'll walk through that door and say, no, I, I'm going to let him have permanent residence. I don't want visitation time with Jesus. I want him in there all the time. I want him to have access to every room. And when you walk through that door, it's, it's saying, Jesus, you can have all the ugly stuff I know is there, all the stuff I'm hiding in the attic, and all the stuff that's buried in the basement. You can have it all. And we're going to pray over you, too. We're going to pray that Jesus Christ, because only he can, will evict every foul thing that has taken up residency in your heart, and that he'll fill you with every good thing that he has in store. So would you stand? God, I thank you for this word. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that you have made a way for us to have relationship with you, and only you could do it. Thank you, Jesus, not just for offering just a surface level forgiveness or pardon of sins, but instead freedom from sin, deliverance from our enemy, and joy in you. As we're in this attitude of prayer, the Lord just showed me there, there's someone here that has, you've got just this deep, deep, deep secret. And Jesus is inviting you to walk in the light, to walk in the truth, to tell somebody, to tell the person you need to tell because it's affecting your relationship. And by standing up and walking through that door, it's a sign that says, no, I'm kicking that secret out and letting Jesus take its place. Um, I, I even know who it is. I'm not going to tell you to come up. You say, well, it, don't assume. Just the Lord showed me. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's a season of open doors. Do not miss the freedom that you could have if you would just say yes to Christ. 
God, bless this time as we worship, as we pray in Jesus' name. You can begin to come up if you like prayer now and just say, hey, by faith, I'm going through.